Why is it harder to pick an RIA to join than a broker dealer to join? That is today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 95. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available from this entire series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of things to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transitiontoria.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about if you are inclined to uh, leave your firm and join another firm, and, and I do all kinds of episodes on whether you should maybe, in this case, start your own RA or join an RA, that type of thing. But if it makes most sense for you to leave your firm, you say, hey, I'm not looking to start my own firm, so maybe I want to join an RIA or I want to join another broker dealer, why does it tend to be harder uh, to pick an RIA to join versus a broker-dealer to join. Now, harder does not necessarily mean uh, that the end result is not better, as you'll see as we go through this, but it does make the the kind of the due diligence process can often be harder. And kind of what prompted me to make this episode is I was recently talking to an advisor, uh, and that advisor had been talking to some sort of industry recruiter. And, and I guess in the conversation, the industry recruiter was was talking about, oh, the, the last 100 or so advisors that they extracted or pulled out of some broker dealer that the overwhelming majority of those advisors with that recruiter's help uh, went to another broker dealer, not the RIA model. And I guess that recruiter was implying that that was the the more kind of superior path, uh, hence because of the data that they show that, oh, the overwhelming majority of people they've helped have moved from point A to point B. Uh, and I think there's a couple of variables in play that is skewing those results for that particular recruiter, perhaps. But one of those, and, and that's kind of what got me wanting to do this topic, is part of the challenge uh, of evaluating RAs to join or broker dealers to join is that it is more complicated to understand the options in the RA model than the broker dealer model. So my guess is in part the reason this particular recruiter was experiencing those results is because they themselves are either not as experienced or not as comfortable or just not as aware of all of the RIA options and, and, and all their differentiators, and they are much more comfortable just explaining the broker-dealer model. So hence, guess what Guess what they explain most to the advisors they're talking to is these, these broker-dealer options they have, and the RA model either doesn't come up in conversation, or if it does, again, that, that recruiter's not as, as comfortable talking about it. So likewise, most of their conversations aren't about broker-dealers. Guess what, of the, of the conversations that end up in some sort of transaction, they're going to land where that most conversations are occurring. And, and so that kind of prompted me to kind of want to talk about what some of those differentiators are as far as understanding what the different options are between the broker-dealer model and the RA model and how you want to be careful who you are getting your information from. Because again, there could be that bias towards just what someone knows better or is more comfortable talking about. And next thing you know, that's what they tell you. That's what's best for you. Now, maybe a particular path that they're talking about is best for you, but make sure it's not because they're not familiar with how some other pathway might work. Um, and I, I, my background, for those of you that know me, I spent uh, many years at a multi-channel firm that had a 
uh, working at uh, the home office at the corporate level that had an employee model, an independent broker-dealer model, an RA custodial channel model. And so I saw all this firsthand, not only all the different channels, how they operate, uh, how they differentiate, who their competitors are, how they position themselves against competitors. But also I saw it firsthand internally, even people that had been at that firm for a very long time that were perhaps in that W-2 broker-dealer channel that did not understand how other channels worked. And that's that's fine because if they never, if their entire career was just in that one particular channel and there was nothing that necessarily motivated or prompted them to learn how something different works, they just never took the time to do it. But there would be even just a lack of understanding or sometimes confusion on even just some basic elements of perhaps the RA model as an example. So you, you you have to be, again, comfortable who you're talking to and what their their own understanding is about uh, different options out there. And like I said, I, I saw it firsthand by working at one of these firms. Um, so no matter what kind of firm you might want to join, a broker dealer, an RIA, the, the best way to kind of sum up of what you're considering that they are bringing to the table is what is their value proposition? Why might you join their firm versus some other firm versus some other model? Uh, I've done a, no, a number of episodes on uh, joining an existing RIA, uh, what the payout you can expect of joining an existing RIA, how to evaluate uh, joining an existing RIA. So I've, I've talked a lot about that, but on this episode, I just want to talk about kind of some of the main differences between why it's easier to explain the broker-dealer model to people than it is the RIA model. So we'll start with we'll start with the broker-dealer. So a couple variable uh, variables as an example that if you're looking out into the marketplace of maybe you're at a broker-dealer now and you're inclined to join another broker-dealer, at least that's what you, you think your path should be and that's what you're exploring or someone's ex trying to explain to you what your options are and they're only talking about broker-dealers. Uh, a couple of things make that much simpler than talking about the RMO. So for one, as an example, pretty much all the large broker dealers use their own proprietary technology. Now, there are some mid-size, small size that are maybe using more third-party tools, but most of the large firms, the wirehouse firms, the large independent broker dealer terms, they're all using their own proprietary built technology. So guess how easy that is to explain if you're trying to tell someone, oh, you're, here's how to evaluate broker dealers, you might want to join it's simple. What is the technology? It's the technology they built themselves. Now, whether that's good technology, bad technology, what one might have one feature versus another might have a tool. Obviously, there's some differentiator there, but as far as understanding, hey, how does it work at a macro level or someone trying to explain to you? It's very simple. They all use their own proprietary technology. That's a simple story to tell. Uh, next up, affiliation models. It's very simple. It's pretty much either W-2, you're an employee of the broker-dealer, or you're 1099 and, and you'd be with a, often referred to as an independent broker-dealer. You'd be an independent contractor, whatever terminology you want to use. It's very simple. So you say, what broker-dealers might I look at? It's either, do you want to look at the W-2 employee models, or do you want to look at the 1099 independent contractor models? Very easy to communicate. And then within those it's W-2 is W-2 is W-2. There's no variability. Same thing on the 1099 side. So you kind of only have two choices you even have to just be aware of uh, to consider. Um, next up on the broker deal front, the payouts are all roughly the same. Now, obviously, there's a difference between a W-2 payout and a 1099 payout. But as far as on the W-2 side, you know, that the proverbial wirehouse type model, 
there's some slight differences in payout and in, in, in grid uh, grid rates and what all the little kickers that you if you listen to my episodes or read my articles you know I rant about this all the time uh, how convoluted these payout plans are but at the end of the day they're all generally about the same payout because they have to be to be competitive with these other firms that look very similar to them again they're all using the same proprietary or they're all using proprietary technology they're all w2 they're all their payouts are all roughly the same there's not one that's far superior than another it's just some slight tweaks uh same thing on the 1099 space the payout and, and how it's structured is generally all relatively the same from one firm to the other with, with some slight differences, but for the most part, all, all kind of centered around the same uh, dollar or percentages. And so again, that's easier to explain to someone, oh, here's, here's how it works at the broker-dealer model. Um, another example of where it's very simple to be able to explain the broker-dealer options they're all, all the large firms are all self-clear and there is no, all the wirehouses, all the large independent broker dealers, they're all self-clear and there's not multiple custodians to potentially talk about. And by the way, we'll get to that in a second. That's an advantage to have multiple custodial options. Uh, but in the broker dealer world, that's one less variable you, you need to understand and be able to explain to someone. It's, hey, all the fir large firms, self-clearing, end of story, no variability there. Uh, and then the last, and this is not an exhaustive list, but they all, of course, say they have a great culture, which, of course, is laughable, particularly with wirehouse firms that are constantly tweaking the compensation of their advisors or, or further restricting things. But they all at least message that they have this wonderful culture and they pay some people a lot of money to sit in cameras and say that with a straight face that that they are always thinking about the advisors first and that's where all their main decision making comes from and that they that they they put forward this culture the advisor first client first culture and we all know that's not what's happening behind the scenes but they all say it so there's no differentiator there uh they say it and, and oftentimes the, the the actual culture behind the scenes is almost identical particularly the very large wirehouse type firms we know what they're looking out for first and foremost. So there's no variability there either for the most part. So again, that's easier to explain. So that's not an exhaustive list, but the point I'm trying to make on the broker-dealer front is someone's, oh, you should just look at these other broker-dealer options. It's it's much simpler to explain those broker-dealer options because call it 90% of it is all the same for some of the variables I just went over. They're all identical looking and the, the 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 differences are very much more marginal in them. And so that's easier for you, you to understand if you want the easiest, if you're going to make your decisions just solely based on what the easiest thing to understand is. And again, for whoever might be trying to explain it to you, that's always going to be easier for them to understand. They're going to be more comfortable talking about that. Um, now let's look at how that differs when you're evaluating potentially RIAs to join. And again, this is where it can get much more complicated, but that can be a good thing. So that there's good and bad news with the value propositions in the RA space. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of different value propositions. This uniformity that I just described in broker-dealers is not at all the case in the RIA space. Now there is some uniformity. They all have certain tools. They all they all you know do the fee billing for the client or the client fee billing on your behalf. So there are some consistent variables, but the value propositions much more dramatically vary from one firm to the other. So that's uh, the good news is that there's a lot of value propositions out there. The bad news is equally that there's a lot of value propositions out there. So you have to do more work to find that one that's the best fit. Now the good news is. The more options that are out there, 
the better the alignment, if you take the time to find that right firm, will be with you. You're not just having to go with the cookie cutter, uh, everyone looks the same approach, and you hope that you're as closely aligned with that as possible. In the RA space, there's so many different value propositions. If you take the time, you can find one that is very closely aligned with you. And by the way, there'll be others that are not at all aligned with you. And, and, and that's fine because they align with some other advisor or team that wants to that wants to potentially join them. So that's the good and bad news in the other space is that there are so many value propositions you could potentially join from. Uh, and I actually spend considerable time uh, as part of what I do for advisors is being aware of who these players are, who these RIA firms are, what their value propositions are, how they differ. I'm gonna give you some examples of those variables. Uh, but that takes considerable time because they are so different. It's not just, oh, I, I got to understand six broker-dealer firms and they're all roughly the same. And, and so it's an easy story to tell. Uh, in fact, I get pitched uh, all the time, RIAs out in the marketplace. Uh, they kind of learn what I do that I'm helping advisors consider their options. And they call me up and they want to tell me how great their RIA is. And I I spend considerable time hearing those messages because I want to know what the best options are out in the marketplace and and the variability and 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 how one option might appeal to one advisor and another option to another advisor. Um, and I do hear all kinds of different value propositions. There's a lot of it to the degree where, like I said, if anything, it just takes a lot of my time. But that's also a lot of my value proposition is to be able to share that knowledge with the client, or the advisor clients that I work with. So there is a lot of variables. So examples of where that variability comes in uh, is, for instance, on the technology stack. Unlike the broker dealers that use their own proprietary technology, uh, and I did a whole episode on what is a what is a tech stack in the RIA space. In the uh, RIA model, almost all RIAs put together third-party technology tools, a so-called technology stack, and this is where they go out in the marketplace from the hundreds of different options, and they're picking what they feel are the best vendor solutions for each of the pieces that they need to put together. Well, guess what? That means that each RIA could have a different approach to technology, a different technology stack. So again, that's more for whether someone like me or, or a recruiter, whoever you might be talking to, needs to understand that if they're going to say, hey, this might be fit for you. And by the way, here's how they approach technology. Does that work for you? That is much harder to uh, get your hands around in the RA space where they're all different. I have to take extensive notes of these things when I have conversations of how one firm is approaching it because I can't just assume uh, that, oh, the answer is X. We're in the broker deal where you can assume, well, the answer is proprietary technology. It's a, it's it's very simple. So uh, technology is an example of one differentiator. Uh, another uh, variable uh, that, ha that has a wide spectrum is how the, the payout works or, or how they price the economics for the advisor. Uh, this is all over the map. There is no just simple, oh yeah, everyone's got this kind of payout grid plus or minus two, three percentage points and it's all roughly the same. No, there's some firms that have very high payouts and there's other firms that have much lower payouts, but you they provide a lot more for you. Other firms don't express as a payout, they express as the inverse and basis points. And there's a range between what basis points they charge. But if, the more you pay, the more you get. And that's so a higher cost is not necessarily a bad thing. But the question is, well, what do you get for that cost? And is that is that what you need as an advisor to have any to run the most efficient practice, be able to grow as fast as possible or as fast as you'd like to be able to? Uh, and so you have to look at that, but that's much more time consuming to understand, well, why should I look at one firm that maybe charges 10 basis points and another firm that charges 30 basis points? You have to understand why that, that there's that variability. You potentially have to talk to both of them to understand, okay, what's your value proposition? 
What of your resources will I actually use? And then you do the same thing with a 30 basis point. And, and then you can decide, okay, one is more advantageous for you based on your circumstances than the other. Again, that's much more complicated, much more time consuming to get your hands around than just the simple payout grid that's all within two, three percentage points of each other, no matter which firm you look at. Um, I allude, Next item, I alluded to this earlier. Most large RIAs uh, that have attractive value propositions you can join are multiple multi-custodial, as they say. So they don't just have one custodial option. They typically have two, maybe three, sometimes even more custodial options. That's to your benefit, to your client's benefit. So you can say, hey, I have these different options, clients. I'm agnostic as the advisor. You tell me which one you would like to use. It doesn't make any difference to me as the advisor. I'm not paid more or less either way. But I want to be able to give you choice of which of which custodian you would like to use with your assets. That uh, is different by each RA of which custodians they're using. Now, of course, there are the the big three custodians, so there's a lot of overlap on on which custodians each RA is using. Uh, but but it's not uniform. They don't all use the exact same two custodians or the exact same three custodians. There's there's variability there. So again, it's more you need to understand, but it also more options for you. So if you're willing to take the time to find the one with the best fit, it is there for the taken, but it takes more time to figure that out. Um, next next example I, I talked about in the broker-dealer world, it's very simple. You're basically either a W-2 employee monitor or you're 1099. In the RIA space, potentially joining an RA, there's W-2 models, there's 1099 models, there's partnership models, there's models you can sell your practice to, there's all different kinds of models available out there. Again, that's um, more challenging because you got to sort through it, but that's more, more better for you as the advisor because you can find the model that aligns best with where you are in your career and what you hope to do with your practice going forward. And that will be different from one advisor team to the next. And so you want that optionality. You go to the broker dealer space, it's pretty much here it is, Take it, take it or leave it. We're all roughly, all the broker dealers are roughly the same out here, how they approach it. The RA space, you have all kinds of options for how you, you are affiliated with them. Uh, and then the last just example I'll give, again, not an exhaustive list here either, is, uh, and, I, and I've talked about this a number of episodes, if you were to go in the RA model, you do not have to be 100% fee-based, or and at that point, you'd be fee-only. Uh, now, you could be, and a lot of, a lot of advisors and teams are, uh, but it is quite normal and, and, and possible to accommodate some, some uh, existing, often referred to as legacy commission business you still have in that RA model where you say, hey, I'm moving increasingly more to the fee-based world. That's where the overwhelming bulk of my client assets are. But I do have this, these kind of legacy commission assets. They make sense for me to, to, to have the clients stay in those positions, whatever those circumstances might be. So I need some way to accommodate that. That's absolutely possible to do. I've done episodes on how to accommodate uh, commission assets in the RA model, but each of the RAAs in the marketplace that you could potentially join have uh, potentially a different solution for how they handle those uh, commission assets you might have and who the vendors or solution providers they're leaning on or make available for you to use. So again, that's more variability that you have to understand as well. Uh, again, across the spectrum of RA options, you could look at joining. So the main uh takeaway here is this is not this is not to imply that again ra is better than broker deal or broker dealer is better than ra you you have to dig into it to decide what's best for you the ra model is indeed best for most uh, advisors but not all advisors so i'm not sitting here implying that all advisors should go the ra space but i would concede if you're inclined to join a firm join a broker dealer join an ra it 
The process of doing, uh, of becoming aware of how these options look, uh, aware of how these options work, uh, understand who the players are, who you could choose from, understand how they are different, understand what those value propositions is, is harder a process or longer process in the RIA space than it is the broker dealer space. I would challenge you though, don't make your uh, possible lifetime career decision, hopefully the last change you, you make with your practice based on just what is the simpler due diligence process. It is much better to spend the time on the front end to look through all the options to fully understand it, to find the better fit, uh, but it, it will take more time to sort through that in the RA space and self-serving for me to point out, but this is all I do is spend all my days paying attention to all these variables and how the firms are different from one another and why you might choose one path over the other. So that is what I understand. And that takes, again, even for someone like me, that this is all I focus on. It takes me considerable time to do that. That's why I'm a believer. If you're, if you're considering the RA model, you need to talk to a specialist, not a generalist that will try to just uh, help you understand all the different models out there because it's not possible to invest enough time to do the deep dive if you're trying to be an expert in all things, uh, knowing firsthand how much time is needed just for the RIA model to fully understand it again, because I, I live that day to day of how much time I have to commit to staying on top of things and learning about new solutions and that sort of thing. So if this is at all anything you would like to learn more about of Hey, okay, Brad, if I did want to maybe join an RA and move into the RA model, how does that work? What might that look like? That, of course, is what I help advisors with. I'm happy to have that conversation with you as well, as you would like to maybe explore options, better understand options, know what's in the marketplace. So with that, like I said at the top, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RA. Uh, as I just noted, happy to have this sort of conversation with you as well. Uh, as a starting point, if you head on over to transitiontora.com, you can find all the resources I make available. Again, this entire series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of things to help you better understand the RIA model. And at the top of every page is a contact link. Just click on that and you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. Whether you wanna talk about today's topic or anything else RIA related, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.